0: BJH Talks, a podcast series from the publisher of the Belgium Journal of Hematology. Welcome to this new episode of the BJH Talks, a podcast series that gives you regular updates on practice-changing news in the field of hematology. In this episode, we talk with hematologist Dr. Paul Delver from BART's Health in London about a national survey on COVID cases amongst patients with hemoglobinopathies and rare anemias. Stay tuned to be updated within the next 15 minutes and benefit from this regarding the clinical management of your patients. Good day, Dr. Telfer. Thanks for joining this uh, podcast. Uh, In the UK, uh, what measures were taken due to COVID-19 to protect specifically patients with inherited hemoglobinopathies?
1: Well, thank you for inviting me to this interview. Uh, We presented this data in the late-breaking abstract session. COVID-19 hit the UK quite severely, and we, in the early stages of the epidemic, as a um, national organisation for hemoglobinopathy care, decided that we needed to protect these patients. Although it wasn't clear to what extent they would be vulnerable to uh, being infected, and to having an adverse outcome of the infection. We thought that they might be vulnerable. So we, first of all, put in some measures uh, for protection. The population as a whole were advised on March the 23rd to stay at home, um, apart for Mm. exceptional uh, circumstances. And these patients were put in the highly vulnerable category and therefore they were advised to stay at home for three months. And if they needed medical supplies or difficulty getting their food, then these would be provided to them at home. However, they still needed to attend hospital for vital treatment. So we continued to see them in hospital for regular transfusions. And we also set up a system in each of the regional networks so that they could contact their centre if they were unwell to get advice uh, about whether they needed to come in or not. And this was particularly important because some did develop COVID symptoms and required treatment in hospital.
0: And how many patients are there in the UK?
1: We know this um, uh, with a degree of accuracy because we have a national register called the National Hemoglobinopathy Register. And this, is, uh, this now has mandatory registration for commissioning purposes so that we can monitor care and monitor outcomes. Uh, so we have, um, we have information about the, the total numbers. And there are approximately uh, 11,500 patients with sickle and about 1,000 with thalassemia these are not evenly distributed around the country and the age distribution is different from the general population.
0: And during the 25th Congress of EHA, you presented data from a national survey of confirmed and suspected COVID-19 cases amongst these patients. What was the rationale behind this analysis?
1: So we wanted to understand how the epidemic would affect this patient group and whether we needed to adjust the advice about protecting the patients and whether we needed to put any other measures in hand in the healthcare centres to manage them when they got unwell. So basically we collected cases from each of the regional networks using a standard data collection form, and the high-level data, anonymized patient data, was collected on a weekly basis and analyzed as a central data collection unit, and then presented to the what we call the National Hemoglobinopathy Panel, which is a group of experts representing each of the regional networks, so that we had a national real-time view of the evolving epidemic and how it was affecting the patients.
0: And what were the main findings of this analysis?
1: We found that the pattern of the epidemic was similar to what was seen in the general population in terms of the numbers of cases and the, the dynamics, so that the most of the cases were presenting in the last week of March and the first few weeks of April. We found that many of the patients were not actually so sick that they needed to attend hospital, and in fact, many people didn't want to attend hospital because of fears about picking it up while in hospital, but we were able to identify those with milder symptoms because we were contacting them at home and doing telephone clinics. And in that way, we were able to identify Uh, Not only those with confirmed COVID, in other words, with positive PCR, but those with classical symptoms of fever, persistent cough, loss of taste and smell, uh, dyspnea. And some of these were managed at home and got better at home. And they never had a a test done because testing was only done on patients that were hospitalised in the first uh, month or so of the epidemic. We found that there were 228 patients around the country up until June the 5th with either confirmed or suspected COVID, the majority of those with sickle cell, 28 with thalassemia and three with other rare anemias. And so it was predominantly the sickle cell population that were affected. Some were admitted to hospital and there were some uh, some deaths. But importantly, the children The rate of infection was quite low when expressed as a percentage of the total population of children under the age of 18. And we didn't see any adverse outcomes in those children in terms of death or requiring enhanced respiratory support. We did see some adverse outcomes in the adults and even in the younger age range. So the predominant population of sickle cell is in the age, in England anyways, in the age range 19 to 50. And there were some cases uh, requiring mechanical ventilation, and there were there was some, uh, some deaths in that group.
0: So what can we conclude from these
1: findings? We think that um, the, the rate of adverse outcomes uh, in those who are infected, now we're talking specifically around those with confirmed COVID, with a positive PCR, was higher than... was. Expected from figures from the general population. However, that's a tentative conclusion because there are some confounding factors, and we know from the general population that uh, those from the Black and Asian ethnic minority groups were more likely to have a severe outcome. Those living in lower socioeconomic conditions, those living in and around London. And those in certain professions were at higher risk. And we've not been able to do a multivariate analysis to adjust for those other confounding factors. But the um, tentative conclusion is that the young adults were at increased risk from more severe outcomes with uh, enhanced respiratory support and mortality, and that this group, so the young adults and the more elderly adults with sickle cell, should be managed carefully with regard to lifting of protective precautions, lifting of isolation precautions. And they should be offered new therapies, vaccination as a priority when uh, these become available. Of course, we don't have a vaccine available yet for COVID-19.
0: So this was a national survey, but of course it's a pandemic. So what can other countries learn from this
1: Uh, Although the uh, epidemiology of these conditions uh, varies from country to country, I think uh, there are some similarities in the kind of epidemiology between England and other Western European countries, such as France, the Netherlands, to some extent also Germany and Italy and other countries now. And uh, I think that this immigrant population of black um, immigrants may be at increased risk in these countries as well. And although the dynamics of the pandemic are changing now, it may well be that there's a second wave of infections. And so that this information may be of use in assessing and planning care for these patients in other European countries. In North America, where the um, COVID epidemic is still quite severe, And possibly in other parts of the world, like Africa, South America and so forth, where the sickle population is quite high, but uh, possibly risk factors in the general population for COVID infection are different.
0: And what are the next steps within the UK?
1: In the UK, the population is gradually becoming uh, Uh, unlocked. And uh, I think we as a national group will continue our standard care for these patients, but we will continue to monitor uh, for new cases of COVID-19. And we're also planning a more detailed analysis of outcomes and risk factors. And of course, there are many facets to COVID-19 infection and the kind of medical complications, including respiratory disease, coagulopathies, hyperinflammatory states, and so forth. And it will be important to see whether these patients are more susceptible to those particular complications. We have been collecting that data, but we haven't presented it in this late-breaking abstract.
0: Thanks for your time, and thank you very much for this podcast, Dr. Telfer. You're welcome. This podcast was brought to you by the publisher of the Belgium Journal of Hematology. For more Hematotalks, please visit us at bjh.be. Thank you for listening.